So it's a beautiful sunny Saturday evening in San Francisco in, in uh, early July. We're sat on the roof of your building, John, and the uh, the charcoal is getting hot, ready to um, cook some amazing kaftas. And uh, I think I saw a, a nice big piece of tuna and some some vegetables there, which I assume we're going to char grill in some form. Um, but I've been up and down four flights of stairs three times now to get more beer or to get more charcoal or to go get the recorder. So. I'm out of breath, so I'm just going to say to you, it's been 10 days since we last recorded. What's been going on? Uh, well, I've been working. Um, some of us have to work for a living, I guess, uh, because... <laughs> yes, I'm yes. just checking we were recording. <laughs> the, the numbers are going forward. Now, more of a continuation of, of uh, improving accessibility and localization, preparing for new releases coming out in a couple of weeks um, of a new language, and I can't tell you which one, but I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, uh, and I can say that I, I have fallen in love with stack views. Oh my God, stack views are the best thing in the world. Um, they save you so much time, and we've only been able to start using them because we dropped support for our iOS 8. And uh, man, does it save you lots of code. But you know what else I also love? John, what do you love? Well, okay, and it's good that, that you <laughs> correctly pointed out what and not who, because I certainly don't love you, but I do love some bits of technology, and I love NS-attributed string. Oh, my gosh, because uh, I was working on something, an updated view, which I, I'm, I have to be careful what I say, um, but it had been done in the past using you know, programmatically created constraints and UI labels. And what made it a little bit tricky is that there's a variable number of lines. And, uh, you know, having to position, having to write code to, to, to create constraints to me just feels wrong. I mean, part of the whole point about the constraints and auto layout is you should be able to make them, you know, create them visually. I know it's not always possible, and I know some people think it's much more manly to, to, to do layout and code, but I'm not one of those people. Um, and attributed strings are delightful for this particular case because it's very flexible. You're laying out, you know, your 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 text, and character turns are magical <laughs> because it's very easy to, for instance, to, to have a UI label that has two simple constraints to center it vertically and horizontally within a view, and then you can create a a, a text label uh, which is centered and then apply some text in it, and you can use carriage returns and. There are attributes to an attributed string that make it very easy to, to you know, modify certain ranges. So if you want some part of the text to be in bold and other to not, that's very easy to do. And then, of course, you can adjust the, the, the letting, which is the space between the lines. And people say, what does letting mean? But only people who are old enough to, to maybe have worked with desktop publishing or know something about typography know that letting refers to the space between lines of, of, of text. And literally, uh, when type was set manually with metal type, there were strips of lead that were put in to, to add the spaces between it. So you can specify the letting, which is very, very easy to do, so that you can therefore adjust the interline spacing. So then uh, it, it just it works really well. And I was so pleased with myself because uh, it, it's very easy for it to adapt to right-to-left languages, and, and, and it just spaces up really nicely, and it worked out beautifully. And, and I think the test of any view controller class is how few lines of code there are in it. Um, and uh, the thing that I worked on was very small, and not only does it uh, lay out very beautifully, but of course it works very nicely uh, for uh, 
uh, purposes of accessibility because it just reads it very nicely uh, with appropriate, uh, you know, with appropriate everything. So I was very pleased with how this turned out. Um, and, uh, and speaking of accessibility, I had a kind of a, another round of work that I was uh, doing. And I have been working to improve the accessibility of our hamburger menu. Um, and uh, so that's not revealing anything. The, the current Netflix app does have a hamburger menu. I don't love it, um, but it does exist. And from an accessibility point of view, it, it was a bit of a nightmare and it's about to get a whole lot better. Um, and part of the problem with it is that it is very common if you have you know, a view which is visually kind of the centered view, right? So you open up a hamburger menu, yes, you see some portion of, of the other view that sits to the right or to the left of it, but for purposes of accessibility, that really shouldn't exist because even visually it's grayed out. Yes, you can see it, but nobody kind of, you know, typically is paying attention to, to what's there. It's the focus is on the, the, the menu that appears. And so uh, I think a trick with accessibility is that if visually it not, should not be paid attention to, it should not be visible to voiceover. And so um, this is not uncommon where you have, you present a, a view controller and you do it modally and there's something called, uh, there's an attribute you can put on your view controller called uh, accessibility is, uh, accessibility is modal, which is very nice. It basically says don't, you know, ignore anything that's below because a view can, you know, be you know transparent. So if, if things can be visible below there, uh, e even if they're visibly completely visible uh, to a sighted user, they probably should not be visible to somebody who doesn't have sight. Um, and so it's very important to, to when you're presenting a view modally that you do that. Um, and that's very obviously the case when you're presenting a view controller that covers the screen. Now, in this particular case with a hamburger menu where you might have, let's say, two-thirds of the screen which contains some menu view and the other third which is kind of the peak to, to, to what was covered it, it's very, very important to then to make that view invisible. And, and there are different techniques for doing it, but uh, one way of doing it th that I found uh, is there is a explic a, a, an explicit attribute you can set on the view and of course now I, I'm forgetting wh what it is but it's uh, we'll put it in the show notes but it, it wasn't immediately obvious to me uh, because normally you would just say the view is not accessible but of course it's sub views can be but there's a very simple way to to set that a view and all its sub views are are to be invisible to voiceover and once you do that things start to magically work um, because what I've noticed with voiceover is as views change and screen layout changes uh, you have to be very explicit about where where the, the, the voiceover cursor lands, so to speak, so that it makes sense for people. You open up a menu and uh, it needs to land in an appropriate place. And it didn't beforehand, now it does. And I'm, I'm very happy uh, thinking that we'll get good feedback on this. I hope we will, and if not, uh, we'll take what we get and improve it. But uh, I, it, it, it made for a happy week this week. So that was a very long answer to what have you been up to? Cool, I mean, I've got, I've got several questions out of that. Firstly, um, yeah, NS attributed string is uh, it's so powerful. It is can become a bit of a pain to work with sometimes. Um, I, I mean, it's it's the root of TextKit anyway. I mean, if if you create a is uh, NS text storage, it is the backing to a text view or whatever else. It's that's just a uh, a descendant of NS attributed string. That's all it is. It's a wrapper around it. So yeah, when you're looking at some huge document in in text kit that is everything's just an ns attributed string behind the scenes um so when you when you format an ns attributed string and you maybe put some bold in there or, or whatever else um does um does voiceover sort of how does it handle things like bold or italic or anything like that? does it do anything or is it just ignore that type of formatting 
Um, that's a good question. I haven't run. I hadn't listened to it carefully. I would like to think that it, it changes the the inflection, but I didn't listen carefully enough. It's a great question because you you would hope uh, and imagine that it does. Um, and that's something I'm going to find out because normally, you know, you put something in italics or, or bold, it does give you some some visual cue, which even when you're reading it, you tend to, to read it with a different internal voice. And, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I my at first guess, I would just imagine it doesn't, it just ignores the attributes and reads the attributed texts, you know, attributed strings text. But who knows, maybe it's super smart and, and, and does something with a bold, but I will have to listen more carefully. And, and what I... What I'm really enjoying about our conversations over the last, well, probably year now, really, but you know, definitely the last few months, and and, and most definitely since Dub Dub, is um, it, it's great to hear your excitement about things that, on the whole, people don't get excited about, um, and I and I mean that in a good way, not a not a you know John's a boring fart <laughs> type of type of way. That can be true as well, then, yeah. um, because it, it it's it's like I think. One of the things I've had to learn is, is when you're running software is to get over what the software is and actually enjoy the technical problem you're trying to solve. So it really doesn't matter if you're, you know, you, you don't have to be working on software for some sort of, you know, sexy industry of some form or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter if it's for you know, accountants or lawyers or something. Is, is the problem you're trying to solve an interesting problem? Is the technical stuff you're trying to do to do it, is that interesting? And I think, you know, the thing is um, internationalization and localization and accessibility, which is the things that you've been speaking a lot about recently. Um, a lot of people seem as a chore, but I mean, I think, you know, you, you've been sort of demonstrating that these are actually also very interesting technical uh, problems as well as social problems to, to, to resolve. So it's been it's really cool to sort of like see you getting it. We're going to have a new language. Yay. <laughs> um, uh, and whatever else, because uh, and I think that's something we can learn a lot more about is 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 developers is to um i think your enjoyment is partly becoming because oh yeah, correct me if i'm wrong here because you've now spent enough time digging into this stuff you you now understand its complexities and you you can see results it's not like a big chore anymore it's, there's still challenges but it's more like you know you have some competency there and you're seeing results and you're beginning to because of your understanding and knowledge that you're also understanding how important this stuff is more than you maybe did before Absolutely. And I think what it comes down to is, is I think, two things. One is, is being literate and being respectful, right? So if, if you are doing something and, you know, the text doesn't lay out or the layout doesn't flow properly in the right direction for the language or even, even the quality of the translation or even kind of things like the formatting of the dates, it, it shows respect and it shows literacy. Because, you know, in the same way that you may judge somebody by looking at their writing, people who speak another language will, will judge your app um, by, by how much care you put on to doing those things. And, you know, I was looking at, at a, a dub dub video. It was kind of what's new in, in localization. And they, they, they tried to make that point. I, I think the other thing when you talk about respect, it, it, it's caring enough uh, about the other people to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put the, the effort into it. And you may not get it right. You know, that you almost certainly won't get it right. It's certainly in the case of accessibility. It's, it's, you know, if, if, if you do the bare minimum, it will make something that, that is usable. But every time that you, you put forth an effort to, to make it a little bit easier, you have no idea how, how, what a huge impact it makes. And, and I'm actually very proud to say that uh, a colleague of mine was off uh, in Reno 
uh, you know, and uh, it so happened that there was a, a, a conference there <laughs> related to accessibility. And he, you know, was having a chatting with a conversation with, with a fellow, a blind person in an elevator and the elevator got stuck. So they were there for half an hour. They had plenty of time to, to talk. And uh, it, it kind of was like, hey, what do you do? It's like, oh, I work at Netflix. And he was like, oh, Netflix. It's, I mean, he just went on and on about how cool it was for two things one was the the, the fact that there was descriptive audios for uh, audio tracks for all these titles and he says it, it's really good and that the app that, that that it's like he appreciated you know all the effort that's been made and and this guy who was there uh, you actually met him at the, the wwc bash hello steve um was, was saying it's like yeah and I, I work with the guy he's quite passionate about that stuff so you know it it it, it really is a, a, a tremendous buzz. It really is to, to, to know that some work that you did has an impact. So that was fun. Yeah, that's, it, it, it's, I think, you know, maybe it's got something to do with our age as well, that actually it's not just about features and what we use, it's that sort of stuff. So that's been really cool. I've spent quite a lot of time refactoring in the, which actually I sort of, I sort of enjoy um, I'm quite a big fan of refactoring. I think um, uh, I try. I'm not quite every day, but I try and I, I, I spend a long time doing it every day. And now it's more, you know, maybe three times a week. But often a way that I can get, I begin to get into my day is I'll take, um, as opposed to just, you know, digging into some new feature or something else I have to do. I'll just take a, a function or a, a method I wrote a week ago or two weeks ago. Probably, you know, within sort of. I was going to say living memory, but <laughs> around longer than that. Um, uh, and just go and rewrite it because now it's, you know, I, I don't know about you, the code I wrote last week is never as good as the code I'm writing this week. And, um, you know, it, it's quite scary how bad code looks a couple of weeks later. Um, and just this very active, uh, just on a daily basis, just take a little bit of code and, and just go refactor it, just clean it up, maybe just change a couple of variable names, do something just to make it a little bit better, maybe spend 10, 15 minutes, that's all it, all, all it takes. And it's just amazing that over time, what that does to the code base, it just you know, it just stops it becoming a, a, a real nightmare. And, um, and equally, it's quite a nice way to start the day, to, to, um, uh, you know, to get yourself going, to it, you're working in a part of the app, it just gets the brain juices running, and equally, you know, a... A function that does a better thing, you know, looks better and is cleaner, is is a very satisfying way to say, okay, good. Now I can now I can go write some really, you know, messy new code because <laughs> I've done some pretty code today. <laughs> it's a way, really, of providing full employment for your <laughs> for yourself. It's like I'm going to clean up yesterday's mess so that I can feel good about making today's. <laughs> However, because everything goes through code review. You can get into an argument sometimes. Argument's the wrong word. A debate about... Uh, because you've touched... We, we have sort of a, an unofficial policy that um, if you touch a unit of source code, you should leave that unit of source code in a better state than what you found it. Even if you're going in to correct a typo in a comment or something, you sort of have a responsibility to check that code over. And so now, now, one of the... One of the core principles of refactoring is you don't change the functionality of something. You just change maybe the code that does the same functionality. But then you stick the, this stuff back in for a code review. And quite rightly, the code reviewer sometimes says, yeah, that's good, but does 
this method do what it's even supposed to do anymore and should we be doing it a different way and so sometimes it does open the door to not just cleaning your code up but you know having to go and change the whole thing uh, which sometimes is a bit irritating but equally uh, that that side of code review it, it challenges you to go back and look at decisions you made a week ago or two weeks ago and, and I think it's, in, it's quite for me it's quite important that it, it's not code that was six months ago or a year ago because often there's so much now built on top of that it's too late to make any new decisions where if it's code you wrote a few days ago or last week you know you can sometimes say yeah well we didn't make the right choice there before you've gone too far down 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 the line um so it is quite useful even though that's sometimes quite irritating when you've just spent 20 minutes making code beautiful then someone says we don't need it anymore should we do it differently but <laughs> but that's good code review i mean i hate co when, when you do code review and all someone does is you know point out there should be an extra space here or this is on the wrong line I, I that, that that just makes me hate code review but when code review is making you ask good questions about the code you've written uh, and whatever and refactoring forces you to do a second code review fairly within a short enough time scale after the, the first one and it does a double check on on your features and i'm i'm actually finding that quite useful and so i'm just interested in your opinion really well, I'm of the opinion that you should always do it wrong the first time so you can do it correctly the second time. But if you have to do it more than two times, then it's probably time to uh, burn the burn the class. Uh, no, I, I completely agree with what you said. Uh, and I think that, that you, know, you have to realize that a code base is something living and breathing. And, and while I was listening to you, of course, I have a teenage son. And before we came up here, you remarked that uh, you know, something that you observed about my teenage son that you observed in your teenage kids is that, uh, you know, the perfectly appropriate place to dump your shoes is wherever you take them off. And it doesn't matter if that's in the, in the middle of the living room or, or in the kitchen or it doesn't matter. And, you know, uh, I think that that life lessons apply to code bases and, and being a little bit neat and taking the time to kind of, you know, make your bed in the morning or something. It, it, you notice it when you come home at night or, or just kind of putting something away. Boy scouting the code is a phrase I've heard, just making things a little bit neater. Uh, if it is a way of life, then it makes it makes your life better. Uh, whether it's at home navigating the you know navigating your way through your house or navigating your way through a, a code base, so I think uh, God bless these these new tools that make it a little bit easier to make this, and God bless people who uh, will do code reviews and do it in the spirit for which they're attended to make everybody better and, and make everybody's lives happier. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I am a big fan of code review when it's done well. Um, unfortunately, in most places I have worked, it's not been done well. Um, it tends to be the um, the syntax Nazis that that, that, that are in there first, um, and uh, yeah, that's not really now. We we I mean we we weren't like that anyway, but um, we solve a lot of those problems by we use a linter, so you know it's and, and so our code gets warnings. We have a zero warning policy. Uh, when you when you submit, in fact, our, our integration tests fail if there is a warning in the build. Um, it is nice in the office because we are in the office. We we have a a big set of neon lights, and um, when when you push to master, when when the um, when the uh, the CI build starts, the lights go blue, and then if there's warnings in the code base, they go yellow. Um, or if the tests fail or the build fails, it goes red, and it's a really annoying red you could not sit in for very long. So you have to get it fixed in order to get the lights to go back to a nice soothing green, which lights the office. Uh, but if you walk down the corridor in the morning um, towards the office I'm working in when I'm over here, you can tell if you're gonna, how the morning's going to start by the glow that's coming out of the office. Is it red or green? 
<laughs> so it's uh, it's quite cool. Um, now we are a remote remote team, and we are um, uh, so we're all together now and again. Um, so we are trying to look at a way of, of, of each having a set of lights that are connected across the internet, so that they uh, they they go. So I'm thinking, you know, because of the time zone difference, if I had a set in my bedroom, they'd wake me up at two a.m. in the morning <laughs> to come up and fix stuff. But there we are. But one of the one of the um, one of the challenges again is when you when you change something is uh, out of a refactor or whatever it's because it highlights you change it is sometimes the decision to the change you're going to make it's not like it's oh that's now another five weeks work sometimes it's like well that's another two hours work and that's fine but it's then another three or four hours work to go and fix all the unit tests you're about to break and you know i'm a big fan of unit testing as well uh, in fact my favorite um session from dub dub is actually one i never went to <laughs> when i was there uh, but i've watched the video is um designing your code for testability really really good session if you've not uh, seen that one i would um uh, go 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 and look at that one i would say that is something for the show notes and we will put that in the show notes um uh and and unit tests you know on this project and and many other you know they have saved my butt so many times yes you sit there and you write them you know, our code base now has is over a thousand unit tests in it, and um, it's you, know, you you just do something, you do that quick change, and you think, yeah, that's fine, and then you save yourself. You know, basically, you save yourself the embarrassment in front of your colleagues of breaking everything by the fact that you then run the unit test before you push for code review, and it just picks up stuff that you just for some reason didn't get. But Sometimes when you say, oh, th this is a two-minute change, oh, it's two-minute change plus three hours of refactoring unit tests and changing unit tests. And it does, I, I, and sometimes that makes it, well, I just won't do the change then. So at that point, tests become a, you know, it's again, this balance of, oh, I, you know, I really should spend that three hours because, in fact, the reality is that three hours I'd have to spend rechanging unit tests, I've saved that a hundred times over already in the times the unit tests have saved my backside by... Especially, I mean, if you ship, a, if a unit test saves you shipping a bug, you know, how, especially, um, you know, especially if you're selling commercial software, how much money does that save you? It's, it's a lot. But it's this sort of tension sometimes of, uh, and even me as a person who loves it, that writing the unit test is not writing the app is a really hard thing to get over as a big fan of it. And, and you know, that's what I think stops a lot of people unit testing is they don't see it as part of the software development. It's like this thing they do on the side. Um, do you guys unit test? We do, and uh, and uh, we we do it because we have to, and we do it because there are a couple of people who are very passionate about it. Um, I will admit that I'm not one of them, but I actually am, am learning, um, and I think that the, a lot of it has to do with with the humanity of it. I mean, I, the, what you just described with the 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 colored lights makes me laugh because. Uh, I, I used to do something, what I called the foamy finger of blame. And this was many, many years ago, much earlier in my career. Uh, I had one of these uh, foamy finger, foam fingers with the, the word, you know, were number one. And so I basically attached a, a paper clip to it. And in this, where I first deployed this system was in, in a rickety old building in Sausalito, um, which had lots of wires hanging about. It was a complete, probably death trap, but we loved it. And with a, a paper clip, uh, you could hang the foamy finger of blame that would point directly to the person that, that, that caused a bug. <laughs> and so nobody wanted to be sitting with the foamy finger of blame pointing at them before you know they, they checked in the fix. Um, and I think that that uh, so so fast forward to, you know to, to where we are now. Uh, 
you know, there are some people who really love working on things like Jenkins and, and, and all the little hooks there are, and, and there's a lot of personality that you can have into it. So one of which is, is uh, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay. I don't know if you've seen this, but this cracks me up. Gordon Ramsay, if any, in case anybody doesn't know, is the, the mercurial British chef that has a, a temper that you want to avoid witnessing. Um, and so, you know, th there's a, a thing where you, you check in your code, and basically before you can submit, as you described, it performs a number of unit tests, and if there's any errors, you see it <laughs> in a very uh, uh, animated fashion. So I think those little things actually do help. Um, and, and, but you, you're right that it, it's the question of balance that, that uh, is, is sometimes difficult to get. Yeah, and it's, uh, and I don't, th I don't, I, I'm just thinking back of what I've said, and I probably use the wrong words because I don't think the balance is wrong. I think those three hours of rewriting the unit tests are fine. I think the issue is even I as a fan don't see writing the unit tests as part of writing the product. And it is. It's got to, it's, it's got to be seen as writing the product. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a way to save, save the butt. Ah, oh, right, so we should probably wrap up. I don't know how long we've been speaking. We should probably look at the timer on the recorder. Oh no! Yeah, we've got a couple of minutes. Just a couple. Of, but do you need to uh, sort the chocolate out? That, that's really uh, no. I will not admit that that's my concern at all because I dedicate my life to this podcast. I mean, you can go sort the chocolate, and I'll talk at you from here, and then you'll just have to. I'll, I will translate your um, your comments. So um, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh no, John's John's a ball of flame. Well, John, under normal circumstances, I would get up and um, call the fire brigade and uh, put put you put you out. But um, uh, I more loyal to our audience and want to keep talking to them <laughs> um, so just just finish off i have been uh, continuing to play with elixir this week and i have to say i'm sort of um falling in love with functional programming um you, you're smirking at me in a, in a in a big way now i say functional, not reactive but functional programming um and uh yeah and it's i said a few weeks ago about how certain things in Swift and Elixir matched up, and the more I'm reading, you know, the more now I'm Elixir. I think is six years old, um, and Swift is. We've had it for now publicly for three. I don't know how, um, you know, but they they are so similar in so many ways. Um, other than that, Swift is object based, and, and Elixir is functional based. But uh, I'm really, really enjoying it, and I'm not sure if I'm enjoying it because functional programming is so different it's nice to be doing something different or just because it is really i'm just thinking it really is that good so i'm i'm, I'm i guess that's going to take a yeah if i'm still doing it in a year's time when it's the novelty is worn off um now you couldn't write a, a mac gui using this stuff because firstly you couldn't interact with coco for a start so that would be pretty useless um but for stuff like um writing web uh server software you know it, it, it makes total sense that you you in a stateless environment anyone immutability and functional program is basically just chaining functions input output input output and you just pipe them through each other um but every time it says something i don't have to learn it because it's like this it says, oh we'll do a map well we have maps all the time in swift and or oh, we do a reduce or you know structs and everything is so similar that you've just seen it's been it's really interesting how much swift has taken on functional paradigms while being still an object-based language, but even there, you can you can see how they're trying to force you a little bit away from objects by the fact that you know structs are supposed to be you know, they you have to tell them to be mutable, and they normally tend to be immutable and and, and let keywords. So it's um, 
I've just found that quite interesting. Now everyone else probably finds that quite boring. Um, but uh, but I'm really pleased with my decision because I said I, would, I didn't want to read like books on functional Swift or whatever else because it's a new language. But I'm really enjoying learning functional languages, so I'm going to write something in it, but I don't know what yet. Well, I, I hope this doesn't bode well for our relationship because I, I, I still love objects and uh, I would would be very sad if you left me for <laughs> a more functional co-host. I'm not against objects. Um, I think... In fact, you like treating me like one. Yes. I think objects are there to be abused. Um, <laughs> don't spill the beer. <laughs> um... I think everything has its place. I think, I think what, what learning functional pr- and don't forget, yeah, you know, I'm about two thirds of the way through one book, so it's not like yeah, you know, I'm not an expert. And it's like yeah, you know, when I, I love new and shiny, and whenever I learn anything new, it's like yes, that's yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, I can do every problem in the world now, but I definitely try and find a problem to solve with a new technology because that's what embeds it in. You know, is is this actually usable or is it just something that was fun to me? I think what learning functional programmer is doing for me is helping to understand what objects are good for and what they're not good for and to understand how as you just said you can abuse the objects and you start doing things that are not great um, design wise just because you can uh, and what functional begins to teach you is there are those dirty things you sometimes do with objects there are other things you could do which would be cleaner and more maintainable and because in a language like Swift which is has all these functional principles in it even though it's an object based language you actually have no excuse to then to abuse the objects because you can sort of still do it in, in the functional way and not do this messy stuff so it's making me it's really interesting because Elixir has all the struct and map and whatever thing stuff of um, of Swift but it's the messaging of Objective C um, type of things. It's a, it's a, mes- it's a message-based a language where you send messages to objects. Not uh, you may send messages to things, not objects that don't exist uh, on there. But anyway, probably boring everyone. But I just wanted to let you know that that's what I'm still doing and I'm enjoying it. And so therefore, yes, um, I, I I will not just be treating you like an object anymore. I will be um, operating on you functionally. <laughs> well, Scotty, if people want to treat you like an ob- object and and abuse you with a very efficient function <laughs> where they chain a number of insults together and and they don't map reduce it but they map increase it <laughs> they amp map amplify it where can they do that on the internet uh you can uh, send me um immutable abuse <laughs> at mac devnet <laughs> uh, and um of course john you uh uh, you being an object are going to hold state, uh, which means uh, that any abuse you get is going to be permanent. <laughs> Whereas at least mine just, I was to say, passes through. <laughs> so where can where can people send you state to be permanently stored? <laughs> oh my God! Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. And of course, you can uh, send us feedback by email at feedback at ideveloper.co. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully the wind hasn't been blowing through the microphone and we've not been walking around, so for those who don't like it when I'm on the mobile recorder, hopefully we've not been out of breath. But uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, you take, take care. care. We can't synchronise that even when we're in the same room. <laughs>